0: Hey everyone, this is your host, Dr. Ryan McConnell, an assistant professor in the physical therapy program at Belmont University. I invite you all to join me in gaining worldly advice through weekly episodes on all the PT hot topics that would interest you at any level of training. Welcome to Spilling the DPT. Hello everybody and welcome to Spilling the DPT. We're here today with Dr. Grace Mullahan and we're gonna be talking about everything dry needling. Just a little bit about Grace. She and I met in fellowship in 2016 and we were part of the same cohort. And since that time, she's been an instructor and in faculty with Upstream Rehabilitation Institute since 2015. She's also been adjunct faculty with Emory, teaching dry needling to entry-level students since 2016. Currently, she's seated as the Ortho Residency Director for Upstream Rehabilitation Institute, and she's been so kind to share some of her expertise and knowledge on dry needling. And today, we are going to talk a little bit more about a couple things that may be misconceived or might be surprising about dry needling. So one of my first questions is, how do we use dry needling? and how could we use dry needling in the future
1: Yeah, I think there is still a very heavy uh, emphasis with dry needling for myofascial pain, which is a lot of what we treat in outpatient orthopedics at least. And I can speak to that cuz that's where I treat the the, you know, venue I treat in and have for the last 10 years. Um but There are other things that we treat other than muscles, other than trigger points. And I think that's gotten to be a little bit of a pet peeve to me that people only talk about dry needling in terms of trigger points. And to be honest, that's the way I learned dry needling. I, you know, back in 2012, 2013, when I went through my training, that was all we really talked about needling back then. Um... I talk about back then, like it was 100 years ago. It was really only seven, eight years ago. But I feel like we've learned so much more, or I've learned so much more just in experimenting with needling, and there's a little bit of evidence emerging for other things that we can use it for. But I don't really see the bulk of our profession moving in that direction, too. I see a lot of people that just get really stuck in trigger point needling. so I guess it's a, it can be a little bit of a frustration point when trying to educate new grads and you know entry level students about dry needling and they have no idea, they've never seen anything other than oh go after that trigger point and you know piston, piston, piston and make our patients really sore kind of things.
0: Yeah, that and that begs the question of what is a trigger point? So how do you explain that to new graduates or how have you seen other therapists around you explain the trigger point or where modern theory is currently?
1: Yeah, I still think we're using a very blended model when we're explaining what a trigger point is. So somewhere between a neurochemical and vascular dysfunction down to the cellular level When we get into you know the sarcomeres and are they staying in a contracted state um, and why is that is it because there was an electrical impulse that was maybe mediated by chemicals like acetylcholine at the motor implant that caused a sustained contraction in that area is it because of a lack of blood flow so we need blood flow to get to the area, to get oxygen, to bind to the ATP so we can have muscle relaxation. Um, And believe me, I am no like whiz at physiology. Um, I hope I just made my physiology professor proud that I remembered that much. But, you know, I I don't really know. I think it's all still very theoretical um, when it comes to what a trigger point actually is. Um, and not tender, not, so to speak, within a muscle.
0: Yeah, and I think patients come and talk about this a ton. Um, I, I think that's even, you know, bled into uh, patients and the community at large, just the word trigger point. I've probably heard it called several other things or just, you know, from massage therapy and different things like that. But how do you go about educating the patient um, about, you know, knowing how much you know, just with advanced uh, dry needling knowledge, what do you explain to the patient is going on? Like why it's going to benefit them or how?
1: That's the tough part is you still have to keep it fairly simple, not to insult anyone's intelligence for sure. But um, if we, as the scientists and the medical professionals don't even fully know what it is, and we just have these theories, um, the best we can do is give patients a very simple explanation as to what we think we're gonna do. So I tend to steer away from really talking too much about trigger points and it's just not, and blood flow can't get there. So what we're gonna do is stick a needle in it so we can improve blood flow. Because honestly, I don't really know that that's true anyway. Um, And so I try to leave it more general and I'll say, hey, I'm gonna stick a needle in this area that's tender and what the goal of that is, is that we hope it feels better afterwards. And what I find is that most people actually do feel better once we've done this. And then if people want to know a little more, I can go a little further, but I try to keep it really simple.
0: So we know, you know, dry needling will do some different things. We talked a little bit about the neurophys and we know for most of us that have heard of dry needling, we've got a pretty good idea of what that is, but what's some emerging areas of study or or evidence that's uh you know kind of trending in a new direction could you speak to some of those areas in the field of uh maybe where there's room to grow or that it's currently growing
1: yeah i think you know i mean there have been case studies out there for improving muscle performance like improving vertical height jump after needling the calves or the quads in basketball players so that's pretty big right Um, but we don't really know much about that. We're kind of just have a couple of case studies here and there about that. There are a few things out there on improving, um, muscle activation after a muscle tear or even potentially a peripheral nerve injury. So things like drop foot by needling the anterior tibialis. Can we have an impact on activating that muscle again for the first time after some sort of trauma? Um, so I think those are two areas that have really not been explored very well in muscle performance um, versus just diminishing muscle spasm, so to speak, like we've talked a lot about with trigger points. Another really big area that I think has gotten a bit more attention in the evidence in the last few years is just generalized desensitization. Um, so generally turning down the volume on someone's pain. And a lot of times that is with using electrical stimulation on top of the needles. But I will say the evidence that's out there is still pretty theoretical. It's potentially positive, but it's really all over the place. There are not great recommendations for specific parameters. Um, so it's, there's still a lot to be desired.
0: Yeah, and I would agree. I knew we're going to be working on a project uh, together actually with some of the um, transcutaneous electrical stim or electric therapeutic needling, whatever we want to call it, whatever mesh terms we're looking at to try and answer, you know, that question. And before that, we were just talking about methodology. It was kind of poor as far as explaining what technique was being used. And you had these different tribes out there all trying uh, to blend science and art and figure out. You know what the secret sauce was, and from uh, that vantage point or perspective, what do you hear currently? You know, going on in dry needling, uh, continuing education programs. Like, what are the the cool things that are happening? What are people frustrated about? What do they want more of? Uh, if you could speak to a little bit of those,
1: um, you know, I think some of the cool things that are going on is a lot of the dry needling coursework is sort of blending more back towards being all-encompassing and comprehensive. Even some of the the tribes, so to speak, that were very heavily trigger point based back when I did my training, I think have started to evolve a bit as well and are starting to instruct a bit more in use of electrical stimulation and that type of thing. I think some of the frustrations are sort of based in the evidence that we as a professor of dry needling at Emory and someone who teaches dry needling courses, sometimes I feel a little stuck. I know what I do in the clinic and what I feel like works. And I know what my colleagues like to do, but to have like hard and fast rules on, hey, this you know number of Hertz of e is good for this type of diagnosis or to treat pain versus muscle activation. It's hard to know what to tell people, to be honest. And I think that can be a frustrating point for both people that teach it and people that are learning it. They're like, "Okay, I don't really know what to do with this now."
0: Yeah, it goes back to PT school. It, that it depends, or it's gray, and we got to be okay with that. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things that I've found is pretty interesting as I get deeper into understanding research and methodology and bias and all that stuff uh, is. Recruitment in general is hard, and it would be even more difficult with a long term guaranteed getting needled sort of study. Like, you know, I feel better. Please don't needle me anymore uh, with dropout. And so, I think where I used to be a little bit more critical of where the state of dry needling evidence was, I'm more accepting of where it's at and better understanding. But it's definitely, like you've mentioned, kind of scant or sparse as far as some of these things go, but also super exciting. Um, question for you. So I gave a teaser for the show just about ultrasound guided dry needling. There is some literature suggesting maybe some muscles were a little bit more accurate with, maybe we can see some things differently. Where do you think that is? And I know there's also, you know, some training out there right now. Where do you think that goes from here?
1: I'll be honest. And I hate Debbie Downer necessarily. I don't see the point. Um, You know, I can understand it from a research perspective. I'm seeing, like, are we as accurate as we think we are? But for the vast majority of things, uh, vast majority of muscles, tendons, that type of thing that we treat, there's such little risk of hitting anything significant with training. Like, if we're needling the quad, does it matter if we're in the rec fem or the intermediates? If we get the result that we were looking for functionally, and to be honest, the cost of a real-time ultrasound machine to have in clinic would just be exorbitant to, for me to have any benefit to that. Um, I don't know, you, you were the one playing with it in your teaser. So you tell me you I haven't ever done it. I haven't ever honestly seen it in person. So you tell me what your thoughts are on that.
0: I think there's still a bunch of gaps that I have personally and haven't looked at the research enough, but you know, the one thing I see is some angle play and some, some things that, uh, you know, not necessarily worrying about safety, but is, you know, tenderness needling more accurate, uh, hitting rotator cuff, uh, interval or the footprint there or common extensor, is that made easier or is it more effective actually doing some of the, um, pistoning or pecking at that, um, interface. I don't know, you know, and I don't think that there are papers out there to suggest, yeah, we should be doing this. I could see from a consumer standpoint, like somebody who's nervous or wants to see something on television, maybe that, um, I could see some, you know, research just as far as specificity, but we've kind of blown that out of the water in general with manual therapy and all of these global effects and indirect effects uh, that we've talked about with manipulation, mobilization, we're just not super great at that, but we do get results. And um, I would say for the most part, I agree with you. Like patients are accepting of like that rationale, like, hey, it is better. I, I don't need to know why. Um, but there always is a small contingent that um, are not okay with not knowing. And I joke because I always say it's the mechanical or electrical engineers and um, your physicians or neuroscientists, things like that, uh, professions in those fields. But that's where I'm at with it. I, I don't think that it's pragmatic. Um, I'm sure if you're, you know, highly trained and used it all the time, you'd be more efficient, but it took me, you know, a good five minutes to set up one spot. And I don't think it was very comfortable at all to have the needle. Um, you have to approach the, the sheath and, um, everything slightly differently than. What you're used to, uh, which, which is challenging for me from a motor sh- skill point. And I don't know that it's exactly as comfortable because, uh, you know, you're almost free needling like you're doing EMG or nerve conduction. And, you know, the other hand is stabilizing an ultrasound head. Um, and so does that one needle being super specific or a couple needle sticks help you, you know, treat patients better? I, I don't know. I mean, cause I think again, we went with acupuncture style needles or these filament needles for the ease of reproducing it cost savings all these other things and i think we are if by going down that route going to more expensive and you know less access and maybe maybe even more complicated training so i don't know that does us many favors but you know we'd love to hear from anybody who thinks differently for sure so that's my two cents on that um question for you then would be because obviously this would be one that may be a a pet peeve but what is your biggest pet peeve about the conversations or the oxford debates on dry needling in general
1: you know i i get a little i guess it's not necessarily a a pet peeve i guess i just don't understand the perspective that of some manual therapists that like So, like, will never dry needle, think dry needling is completely useless. I can do anything with my hands. You know, I am a FAOM to that. You know, we went through manual therapy fellowship together, big supporter of using manual therapy where appropriate. Same thing with dry needling. I don't think it's for everyone, but I have seen it be a big game changer for some patients that I just couldn't get them there with manual therapy and exercise. And that, that was the thing that made a difference, particularly for things like patients with chronic headaches, or some forms of persistent pain. I do think there's a neurochemical effect that we just can't impart with other forms of manual therapy. Um, and, you know, we know the effects are relatively transient, but there are a few studies that show some fairly long-term effects from one instance of dry needling. Um, One diagnosis I think of is patient, a patient with chronic TMD. There are some studies that show up to six months of improved function after one needle stick. That's pretty significant. So we just can't discount this, this tool that we have completely. Um, I know it's sexy and, or it was for a while. I don't know if it still is. Um, It was the cool thing when I came out of PT school, that's why I got certified right away, but I don't know, I, I understand the desire to be cautious or to not just jump on the bandwagon for every cool new thing that comes out. But I do think that there is some very valid utility to this tool. And so I guess I just don't understand people that don't see that.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you, and you brought up a nice point. Um, you know, you question yourself as far as okay, it was uh, this hot topic the the waters are boiling, I would say. Really over the last five years, it's been really, really warm. And then my guess is, you know, I think my feel is that it might be cooling off a little bit because when you talk to some of the people that are teaching courses like this, uh, they're, they're getting a little bit more adventurous. They're thinking of how do I change this for the people that have been doing it since they graduated? Like, How do we advance this field and research to where we can continue training and getting better at this or doing it differently? And so I have heard some some uh whisperings out there of that. Is that different on your end? I mean, as far as the area you're at, do you feel like it's cooled down? Is it still raging?
1: No, I would just say that it's it's adapted even since, you know, obviously since I took my training in 2012 and 13 to when we developed our first needling courses for upstream in 2015 to now, we teach it somewhat differently. We're not focusing so much on the trigger point. Um, We're focusing a lot more on the various goals of dry needling, whether it's to decrease pain or improve muscle activation or inhibit some form of muscle activation like a trigger point or a muscle spasm kind of thing. Um, And then there are other things like scar tissue and tendinopathies, Um, if we're treating a tendon insertion, those types of things. So we come at it from a, a very different perspective. And I would say um, that's the big change I've seen. Uh, we, I do teach an advanced dry needling course, which is sort of for that population that you're talking about. Like people have been needling for a while and then like, what now? Mm-hmm. So I think it fills that gap a little bit of, okay, you took needling three, five, seven years ago. What's different now? You know, we talk a lot about the use of electrical stimulation and some of these protocols that almost are seem from the surface level blends of acupuncture style, in addition to our dry needling style, which is more of our medical model. Um So it's, it's interesting, though, because uh, particularly when I teach the advanced level courses, I get all kinds of levels and people with different backgrounds that have taken different courses prior to taking advanced. Um, But most of the time, I will say that the two things that people are pretty familiar with, at least, is trigger point dry needling and dry needling with electrical stimulation, even if they don't really know what they're doing it for. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would say that that's uh that's fair for sure. Um, where do you think the I guess the field of research with uh, electricity and dry needling, where do you think that's going to go? Like what what do you feel is going to happen with that?
1: No. That's a More really good
0: question. Die?
1: No, I don't think it's going to die. I think we're just going to get better at classifying patients kind of how we've done with other you know, areas of manual therapy when we've become uh, more used to these treatment-based classifications. Um, I think eventually we may see that for dry needling too, that, okay, this type of patient may benefit from e This type of patient may benefit from manipulation of the needle and more of a trigger point style needling. Um this type of person may benefit from this type of electrical stimulation. Um, you know, coming up with more specific parameters on how long and how intense and what's the goal of the e time. Are we trying to wake a muscle up or are we trying to turn a muscle down kind of thing? Um, when I teach it, I give people my best advice, I guess, at this point, based on the very few articles we have out there that cite their parameters. But yeah. that's really the best we've got. So I, I really hope that it evolves into becoming more specific, I guess, at some point.
0: Yeah, I think that that's going to be interesting because we have a couple of fields that are kind of converging on some breakthroughs. We've looked at, I know, um, again, it was, I think, Dr. Uh, Roy Coronado. They're looking at just mechanistic uh, base classifications for pain. So pain conditioning response or Um, You know temporal summation those sort of studies like do people like that respond differently those that are conditioned for pain responses and some of these sub classifications will be interesting but I do uh, you know you and I mentioned in our um, meeting before the meeting the the research on improving power and performance and just some of the stuff coming out there because I'd say that that's a fan favorite when we get into Q&A as far as dry needling goes uh, where do you see that? in again, where is it going? And if you want to share anything specifically you find interesting, uh, give it a shot.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of therapists have already started using it this way, even though we have next to no evidence to support it. But just based on what we see with our patients and patients are really starting to demand it. And that's where we're seeing a lot of cash based service patients who are marathon runners. That they know. Okay, I have a long run on Sunday. I got to go run twenty miles, so I'm going to go in for needling that day or the next day, and it's going to help my muscle recovery, so I can run more next week. Um, things like that are very common around the area where I treat. I see that a lot. I even see some elite athletes, and I hear you know just I have colleagues that I um, I have conversations with that work with more elite athletes, like in the NFL or NBA. And they are demanding it. They have PTs on staff that needle and that to help with muscle recovery and muscle performance, that type of thing. Um, And I think when we start seeing things, it may be somewhat of a trickle down effect. When we start seeing the elite athletes demand something, then we inevitably see more research done about it to support it. And then you see the lay people start to, oh, well, you know, LeBron had needling after his, you know, quad strain. So now I want it. Um, I think we're going to start to see more awareness about it the more we have some celebrity influence. Kind of like everyone wanted to talk about cupping after Michael yeah. Phelps in the Olympics several years ago. That became really hot for a while. Yeah.
0: I know needling's gotten some bad press at times for sure with uh the elite athletes just as far as some of the safety concerns, but Uh, Where do you think the biggest, uh, I I, I guess, field that we could go into? I know we mentioned uh, earlier performance, uh, spasticity or tone sort of things, uh, neurological conditions or pain in general. Where do you see the biggest opportunity in the next five years as far as filling some gaps of knowledge?
1: I think the most needed right now is. Knowledge when it comes to electrical stimulation and what we should be doing for various things, because I think that's the most widely used adaptation on dry needling with very little knowledge about it. Um, but if you're just talking about like other areas to apply it,
0: Mm -hmm. I think
1: the neurological population is a huge one. I've had several neurospecialist therapists take my dry needling courses, and I have friends and colleagues that are neurotherapists that needle their patients. You know, here in Atlanta at the Shepherd Center, which is a very well known hospital for patients with spinal cord and traumatic brain injuries. And they use it a lot for pain associated with those conditions, but also for spasticity. That's another area we have very little research to support, but they see benefit from it day in and day out. So um, I think that's a huge population. I think, like we were talking about just a minute ago, muscle performance and that sport population. Uh, again, I think the more we have evidence there, the better. I just don't know. Like you said, it seems that to some extent, dry needlings become old news. Um, it's just kind of everyone does it now. And so is it just a thing we do? Are people going to maintain enough interest to keep pushing that research forward? Or are we just going to be happy with status quo on it doesn't matter. We sort of get patients feeling better with it, and they like it, so they keep coming back. And it's a way for us to gain compliance with our patients. And are we just going to keep using it like that?
0: Yeah, I think that that's super interesting because you look at some of the other fields. Like, we'll we'll just throw out some things that came and went pretty quickly, and then they've circled back years later. But uh, diathermy, pulsed electromagnetic fields, like magnets in general. Um, You know, I I would say to some extent, even some of the things we're seeing with like primal reflex type things uh, have been around for a little bit and come back. But uh, I'm curious to see what dry needling does. I mean, I I don't know where it it seems like it's right on the edge of some sort of other breakthrough that just really expands how we use it. Um, Or people are going to lose interest for some other reason. And, you know, a lot of that is dictated by who's paying for it and how it's getting paid for. So I think that that will have some implications. Um, But one that I think is going to, two things actually, I think would be fun to talk about. I don't know where you are on this and if Atlanta area uh, does caliente contouring, hot needling, do they do that?
1: No, but that sounds ridiculous. I have no idea what that is.
0: So, and this is something I've heard around the country. So it's basically, and I haven't actually seen it for myself, but people are heating up needles, and then dropping it relatively superficially. And, you, you know, basically suggesting inches off your waist and shrinking of fat cells, and basically, um, you know, weight loss, essentially. And for anybody who's out there that does it, or maybe listens to it, I'd love to hear more about it. Maybe you're going to be, you know, the next guest there. Uh, but that's something I've heard needling, you know, kind of treading on, and a lot of people are pretty quiet about it. Um, but I've also heard of some master clinicians that are doing it, and I know this raises all sorts of questions with the board and whatnot. But that might be something we see. And the other one that's out there is um, like now. in I don't want to mix terms, but we hear a lot of cosmetic um, medical practices doing micro needling. Do they do that in and around uh, your area, like micro needling for scars or keloids, and?
1: You know, not from a physical therapy perspective that I've heard of. I've heard of microneedling in terms of estheticians and dermatologists that use it for facial wrinkles and that type of thing. I haven't heard it used. I've never used that type of needling in my practice for any reason.
0: Yeah, and it it would be interesting to see if I mean, because there's obviously a ton of people that come in with keloids, but working specifically on cosmesis seems outside of the way that physical therapists define the profession. Um, however, there is that blend of science and art, and maybe that is an art uh, component of that for the movement system. Um, anything else? I will say, yeah.
1: Well, I will say when it comes to scar needling, so I wouldn't necessarily say I've ever needled a scar for a cosmetic purpose. Typically, I'm if I'm needling a scar, I'm trying to improve mobility of that scar to either decrease pain or improve that person's movement in that region. Uh very commonly, lumbar surgery scars or old total knee scars, shoulder scope scars, that type of thing. I will say I did have um, a patient, and I say she was a patient because she was someone who worked in my office who had a really big old scar from like a a humorous lengthening procedure she had done when she was a kid. And it just looked like a sunken cup over her bicep. And she was really contracting her bicep still. And some of that was part of her condition, but she did always have pain around that scar. So again, what happens when a patient cancels in an orthopedic office, you start needling the people that work for you and just playing around with stuff. And so we did needle her scar and got some really good, you know, fascial pops out of the, the needles as we were manipulating them. And um, she said it felt a lot better. And that really sunken and scar did surface a bit. And it was a scar she'd had since she was an infant. And um, she's in her, you know, 20s at the time. So 25 or so year old scar. So did we make a cosmetic change? Sure, wasn't really the goal maybe she liked that change um but i see what you're saying like it could potentially have some place
0: yeah i think that that's the case and switching it it could definitely have a place and i i think it depends on what you know landmark papers kind of hit in these major journals and kind of where uh consumers drive it as well so i think those are big things um But switching gears a little bit, talking about, you know, a little bit more on the medical model um, and and for some of the naysayers out there that say, I mean, there's plenty of people on forums and probably listening or will listen to this that say dry needling is crap. It doesn't do anything. It's lucky to just be placebo and it's silly to be even considering. What would you, if you had the platform and as you do the mic um, to talk about that, you know, obviously peacefully as we are. Uh, What would you say to those people?
1: You know, I, I don't see what people's issue is with a quote unquote placebo. I feel like placebo has gotten a bad rap. And to be honest, I don't think we really fully understand what a placebo effect is. If someone has a change in their pain pattern because of something we did, we didn't create magic. We didn't wave a magic wand over them or do some Jedi mind trick. We changed something. And so if that change helps someone, why does it matter mm-hmm. what we did, whether it was an exercise or a manual therapy technique or dry needling, who cares? What did it, if it works, then we should use it.
0: I agree with you on that. And I'm sure you've had a ton of conversations with physicians as well. I had, uh, uh I guess a platform uh, discussion with or at a joint symposium at one point in time. And obviously a bunch of people doing total joints and just ask generally show of hands, like how many of y'all think it is largely, you know, the majority of the treatment is placebo. And there's a good amount of physicians that think, you know, if we were going to do a pie chart, 80% of it's placebo. There are some out there that, uh, you know, kind of want to troll on it a little bit and say it, it, it is nothing. It's just, not good. And then there's also some that really, uh, believe in it and have some strong, um, you know, support from probably anecdotal stuff from their patients. Um, also, you know, from family, friends and that sort of thing. But what's a, if, if you've are talking to a physician and they've never really heard of dry needling or don't really know much about it, what would be your pitch to them?
1: I'm so bad at sales. That's like (laughs) never been my thing, Ryan. Um, You know, I just try to be really honest with whatever information I have. I don't try to pitch anything to anyone. I hate being sold things myself. Um, So generally what I will tell physicians if they ask about it, um, which honestly in Atlanta, I feel like most people know what it is anymore. So they've made my job easier. Yep. But I guess I would say, you know, it's a technique. It's a tool we use. It's not, I'm not a dry needler now. I'm not gonna bring patients in and light candles and start playing, you know, jazz music and leave them in a room for 30 minutes. The whole goal of me using needles in any capacity is to help someone ultimately function better. So it's yeah, we we use needles, we we penetrate the skin, we use them for various reasons. Generally, it's to decrease pain. Um or to occasionally get a muscle fired up a little bit better so that that person can use it. And then we move on. And that's kind of where I leave it, unless they have more questions.
0: Yeah, I, I usually tell in the needling courses, a uh, little bit of my story, the, this, I guess the scariest thing I've ever done, aside from the joint symposium, because I, I felt like I was not uh, completely amongst believers and friends of dry needling. Um, although I I know that they have a healthy respect for science and evidence and literature. um, The scariest and most intimidating sale, I would say, is I had a active neurosurgeon come in with one of his uh, nurse practitioners and sit and watch and ask the specific neurophysiology and theories, wanted to know, loved the results that were happening, was actually legitimately curious about how could something so benign almost uh, do the things that he's heard and see? And what's it look like from a safety perspective and all of that? Uh, but I got some challenging questions there. And I think that's probably the most elevated I've ever had to feel that I had to um, deliver my education. But for, your, for the most part, I think you're spot on on how we can talk about this with other professionals. And we're all trying to do the same thing, You know, get get the patient better as quickly and as inexpensively as possible. Um, But yeah, I would say that that's a great way to explain things. Um, Looking at the time here just a little bit, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk or set out your soapbox and uh, discuss anything that you feel is worth noting on this while people are listening and kind of give you a second to just rain knowledge on the people.
1: I don't think I have any more knowledge to rain on anybody. Um, but I would just say my, with, if if anyone gets anything out of me blathering on for the last 30 or so minutes, I hope it's that you understand that dry needling has a lot of potential and it's not just about the trigger points. Although trigger points can be really great and really fun to treat, um, for the therapist. Uh, it, there are so many other ways that we can potentially be using it, and I hope that people out there listening are curious about that and maybe want to drive some of this research. Because you know, it's it's tough, like you said, to to conduct research to get it approved by IRBs. I understand why there's not a ton out there. It's tough to get participants to want to be stuck with needles in the name of research. <laughs> um, but I hope there's some curiosity out there, and I hope there continues to be that. I think it is still a bit of an untapped resource that we have this really cool skill, but we don't really know all that it can do yet.
0: Yeah. I think that there's a a ton of potential there. And then for uh, the listener that's going or considering a dry needling course, how would you advise them to maybe pick or what sort of mindset to, to get in before a dry needling course? How would you encourage them moving forward?
1: Um, First, how to pick a course, I would encourage you to look for a course that has a comprehensive view. So if you are looking at dry needling courses, and they only do one thing, they only do trigger point needling, or they only teach needling with e-stem, I would be cautious of that. We I mean, just in anything we do in physical therapy, there are very few black and white, you know, lines in the road, right? We I encourage you to have uh, some comprehensive education potentially, um, but there are lots of options out there that do that. So um, not that there are a lot of bad ones um, to pick from. What were your other questions? I feel like you, asked you have the, like, a, a resource.
0: Ryan. No, that, that answers it. What about uh, your favorite resource for dry needling? Uh, just a, a source to go to and to learn more or reference periodically. What do you... Go to for for your needling, you know soup for the soul,
1: you know, I tend to go to my colleagues a lot i I to be honest, like YouTube is weird, and you never know what you're <laughs> gonna get um there are some texts texts out there um I don't think they've really kept up to date with where we are in needling these days. So I I don't tend to recommend them other than just an anatomy review. Um, Know your anatomy. If you're thinking about taking a dry needling course and you're nervous about it, the course itself is a fabulous anatomy review. Um, So if you're studying for like a board cert, also a great time to do dry needling certification because it's a fabulous anatomy review.
0: Yeah, I think that those are all uh, really good, you know, pieces of advice and I think, uh, everybody sees what they're, they're made of when they go to, um, uh, you know, any, any sort of course like reviews anatomy. And I think my one piece that I would add to it is just lower any of those defenses as far as being a learner. When we signed up to be physical therapists, um, we decided to be lifelong learners. And the example I gave, um, in a couple of different lessons is, you know, all cars take maintenance, they need maintenance. So, Lower the ego and and just uh, relax and, and try and learn. But don't be dangerous, please. So be safe out there. Um, outside of that, I don't really have a whole lot more to share. I wanted to thank Grace, you, for your uh, time and willingness to talk and spill tea on dry needling. Um, sure, sure, there's going to be a ton more topics that we can come up with within dry needling. And hopefully everybody got a little bit of a teaser out of it. Grace, if somebody had questions or wanted to comment and tell you just give you a high five for doing an awesome job how would they reach you
1: you can find me at my email um at vmollyhan at urpt.com or on instagram at virginia grace 17
0: yeah and that'll be a topic for the future is uh, dry needling on instagram so uh, stay tuned and thanks so much for your time
1: thank you ryan
0: and that's all for this episode of spilling the dpt If you like this episode, please feel free to drop us a review and subscribe for Endless Tea and follow me on Instagram at spillingthedpt. We are found where all great podcasts live. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, Pandora, TuneIn, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. We look forward to spilling with you all next time.